Twilight's End by Kevin Scott and Mark Wright. Performed by Beth Chalmers. The building rises into the night air like a sliver of ice, dominating the skyline. Other skyscrapers huddle around this sleek needle, steel and glass arms stretching up into the sky but never catching their rival. The most advanced computer system in the world cycles simultaneously through all 200 floors, assessing ambient temperature, humidity, airflow, energy consumption, structural stress, external wind velocity, and localized seismic activity. The computer monitors the heartbeat and body temperature of every living being within the building, constantly adjusting atmospheric conditions to maximize comfort. External sensors probe the surrounding airspace, correlating data with military and civil aviation networks. If any threat is perceived from an approaching aircraft, satellite weaponry systems would be online within a fraction of a second to neutralize the danger. Backup weaponry batteries located on the building's superstructure are also at the computer's disposal. The security net thrown around the building is the most sophisticated known to the world. Not even the smallest insect can penetrate this unique environment. The computer is the building. The building is the computer. It waits. It watches. Waiting for... A presence probes at the very edge of the computer's perception. Molecules shifting barely perceptibly as something teases apart the threads of the universe. Power surges through the highest level security systems embedded deep within the core of the computer. Synaptic circuits fire with energy, computing, calculating all parameters before alarms. Alarms that are never activated. A system operating at a higher level than all others overrides the intruder protocols, taking it offline. The computer has waited a long time for this, and as the presence probes deeper, looking for a way in, the computer lets it. A security guard, clad in regulation black combat fatigues, wandered down a corridor lit for optimum visual acuity for a human being. One hand, as always, on the sleek-looking energy weapon hanging from his belt. He approached an intersection and rounded the corner, walking straight into a solid wooden wall that hadn't been there when he'd walked this same corridor less than 30 minutes ago. With a rasping squawk at odds with his macho appearance, the guard fell backwards onto his mercifully leather-clad bottom, landing with a muted thud. His training kicked in immediately, and the guard sprang to his feet, weapon out and pointed at the... at the... at the tall blue box standing in the middle of the corridor. Without pausing, the guard grabbed the communicator from his belt and thumbed open a channel with calm professional movements. Priority one, security alert, he said with practiced efficiency. Sir, we have a code Lazarus in the building. The raucous clamor of alarms blasted through the building as the doctor sprinted down a long, plushly carpeted corridor. A hand clamped firmly on the little straw hat that was jammed onto his head, umbrella held tightly in the other. He halted at the end of the corridor, where his path was blocked by the double doors of a lift. He threw a glance back down the corridor, eyes sparkling in the bright lights blazing from the ceiling. All around, 
he could hear the rhythmic, softened thud of booted feet approaching from all angles. Oh, well, sighed the doctor as he fished into a pocket of his green tweed jacket. It was nice while it lasted. Retrieving the sonic screwdriver out of his pocket, he set to work on the control panel at the side of the doors. The dull throb of the screwdriver vibrated the air around the doctor, but it didn't drown out the sound of the ever-approaching bootsteps. The control panel beeped a negative note, and the doors remained stubbornly closed. The doctor gritted his teeth. Glancing behind once more, his eyes widened as he saw emerging from the distant end of the corridor a squad of security guards. Cries of recognition indicated he'd been spotted, and the doctor determinedly tweaked the shaft of the sonic screwdriver and renewed his assault on the lift controls. Sparks haloed around the doctor's head as an energy blast struck the wall above him. He ducked as another weapon discharge hit the wall. Come on, come on, he urged quietly, and the dull throb of the screwdriver raised in pitch before the controls gave off a friendly ping and the doors swished quickly open. With a smile of satisfaction, the doctor grabbed his umbrella, bounded into the waiting lift and deftly pocketed the sonic screwdriver in one fluid movement. The doctor turned to see that the security guards were almost on him, with shouts for him to surrender screaming down the corridor. He stabbed a button with the tip of his umbrella, turning his head calmly away from the cascade of sparks that erupted when an energy blast impacted inside the car. As the lift doors began to close, the doctor lifted his hat, beamed a wide smile at his pursuers as if he appreciated their efforts, and called a friendly, Good day, gentlemen. The lead guard was forced to pull up quickly so as not to barrel into the now firmly closed doors. The squad commander stepped up behind him and unclipped the communicator from his belt. Get me the director, he barked into the device. Sir, we lost him. The doctor haired down yet another corridor, the garish artwork of the corporate mindset that hung on the mute-coloured walls flying past in a blur. The lift had deposited him somewhere a few floors above ground level, and if he was being honest, the doctor didn't really know where he was going. But he carried on regardless. Was he waiting for something? A sign? The doctor's brogues swished over the plush carpet that lined the floor of every corridor, and he slid to a halt at an intersection where four corridors converged. He looked quickly to the left to see an advancing squad of security guards, and immediately prepared to run to the right. But again, an approaching gang of men blocked his way. Oh dear, the doctor mumbled, glancing behind to see the same worrying situation. Even with the way ahead clear, the odds of evading capture this time were slim at best. The guards advancing from all sides, he glumly prepared to raise his hands in weary surrender. But then the doctor's eyes widened in surprise as, in quick sequence, three heavy security doors descended from the ceiling, all clunking into place and miraculously halting the approach of the guards. The doctor stood in the center of the intersection, which was now eerily silent chin resting on the handle of his umbrella as he looked quizzically from one blast door to the other. He turned and saw the clear corridor ahead, beckoning him forward. Shrugging, he sprinted forward once more. Another day, another corridor.
As the doctor progressed through the network of walkways, the same thing repeated itself over and over. A door sliding into place here, another opening there. The sequence always keeping him away from any security patrols, guiding him onwards through this warren of faceless passages. The doctor ran past another security door that was dropping from the ceiling. The shouts of more security guards extinguished as the dull, heavy steel clanked shut. He sped on through another clear intersection of corridors, before his progress was brought to a sudden halt by three resolutely closed doors. The doctor turned back sharply, but was prevented from running back the way he came as another identical door plunged into place with a sigh of compressed air. Whipping round, the doctor backed himself against the door, tensing as he waited for something, anything, to happen. The door directly ahead rose smoothly up, receding into the ceiling to reveal a small room with a familiar pair of lift doors set into the wall. The doctor took a cautious step into the room, stopping as the lift doors slid apart to reveal the waiting car. Hmm, the classic dilemma, he mused, eyes scanning the interior of the car. Someone, or something, clearly wants me to step into that lift. He thought for a second, pursing his lips as he weighed up a set of universal pros and cons that only he was party to. Oh, well, he said breezily, and stepped forward into the lift. Ah, omelettes and eggs, Doctor, he breathed as the doors began to close on him. Omelettes and eggs. The lift doors opened with that annoyingly perky ping, and the Doctor stood on the threshold, a bright metallic corridor stretching out before him. Silver cables ran like metal veins around the walls and ceiling, and he stepped out onto heavy brushed metal floor plates. Now this was more like it. This was familiar ground. Obvious, perhaps, but preferable to the faceless corporate vulgarity above. The doctor knew he was now far below the surface of the city. Old habits die hard, he smiled to himself. Not far away at the edge of hearing, he could detect the vibrating rumble of the enormous gravitic centrifuges that maintained the integrity of the otherwise impossible structure above. And now the doctor had the feeling that he had arrived. He began to walk slowly down the corridor, resisting the almost overwhelming urge to break into a run and sprint towards his goal. He shivered as he thought he heard a susurrating whisper pass down the corridor, urging him forward but then it was gone. Getting jumpy in your old age, Doctor, he murmured, absent-mindedly reaching into his inside jacket pocket just to make sure. Yes, it was still there, safe. As his footsteps echoed eerily, the end of the corridor slowly came into focus, and soon the Doctor could go no further. Thick, heavy-set metallic doors barred his way, he wondered which civilization had been plundered to provide these. He lightly brushed his finger against the metal and then put them to his tongue. Hmm, he pondered. Could be Martian, with a hint of Haldron ore in there, I'd say. The doctor sounded impressed, and he was. This place had been rigged to withstand the combined forces of the Dalek, Cyber and Slavian empires. Yet with just the merest sonic trickery and typical guile on his part, 
he'd managed to run around the place as if he owned it. Of course, he had. Once. The doctor glanced to the side and placed his palm on the rectangular box bolted to the wall. Bright white light flared around his hand, but a negative note sounded from the palm reader. Access denied. A clinical female voice filtered into the corridor. Level one clearance required for entry to the primary core. The doctor grinned. Oh, come now, Oracle. Is that any way to greet an old friend? We go back such a long way, you and I. The voice was just as he remembered it. Cultured, passionless, but decidedly... Slinky. Hex had liked it. Your presence in this facility is unauthorised. Yes! And the more you try to do something about it, the more your security protocols are deactivated, rerouted, sent down blind alleys. Frustrating, isn't it? I wonder why that is, Oracle. Please explain your inquiry. The doctor shrugged. Ah, you see, I can't. I'm as much in the dark as you are. So the sooner you let me in, the quicker we can get to the bottom of things. Level one clearance required for entry to the primary core. Yes, 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 you said. The doctor sighed. Oh, well, it's your choice. We could have done this the easy way. The doctor pulled out his sonic screwdriver and turned to point it directly at the heavy locking mechanism in the centre of the door. A logo ran around the lock's circumference. He read it. For king and country. The doctor set his face in an impassive mask and activated the screwdriver. Within seconds, the lock turned through 180 degrees and with a metallic thud and whine of hydraulics, the door began to heave slowly open. A gust of stale, fetid air rushed towards him. Darkness awaited the doctor, save for the corridor of light that extended into the room beyond, providing a path into the unknown. Hello? He bellowed into the gloom. Anybody there? Shop! Floodlights blazed suddenly into life all around the chamber, which was cathedral-like in size. More cables snaking around the highly vaulted walls and floor, all leading to a node bolted to the heavy plating in the centre of the room. At the same instant, panels slid open at various junctures on the wall, and sleek, needle-like beam weapons pivoted into place with a metallic clunk. They were all pointing at the doctor's slight form. With a wry smile, he doffed his hat into the murk of the room. Now, I've got your attention. Identity confirmed. You are the Doctor. Oracle's synthesized voice purred around the chamber. Codename, Lazarus. Former scientific advisor to UNIT. Your presence in this facility is not authorised. I'm rarely authorised to be anywhere, the Doctor said apologetically. You are responsible for the destruction of the primary facility of this organization. You are responsible for the destruction of the secondary facility of this organization. You are... While I'm flattered you remember some of my greatest hits, could we possibly dispense with the CV? The doctor said impatiently. 
There's only one thing I want to know. Please state the nature of your inquiry. Where is he? Please repeat your question. No. Please repeat your question. Don't play games with me, Oracle. These aren't your rules. Please repeat. Where are you? The doctor bellowed, spinning on the spot as he addressed the room. You brought me here. You guided me down into this rat's nest. It's time to stop hiding. Show yourself. The only sound in the room was the doctor's breathing, his sudden anger subsiding as quickly as it came. Then came a click, a solitary, insignificant click. Then another, and another. The doctor turned slowly to face the source of the sound, felt the floor vibrate beneath his feet as the node of cables in the floor began to crack apart like an egg. Little used hydraulic gears, dormant a second ago, began to turn, and a column of dark, sleek metal rose into the air. With a jolt, it shuddered to a halt, and the column parted in two to reveal a mass of tubes pulsating with viscous amber liquid. They writhed within the column like a nest of snakes, data pumping through the solution, an infinite number of calculations made at the speed of thought. The massive cables began to heave apart, squirming aside to reveal something else at the center of the coffin-like slab. A metal frame, like a gurney, pivoted forward. An emaciated figure crucified across its surface. The doctor looked on in disgust. The creature's skin was bloated, yet appeared sunken at the same time. Dead blue veins bright against its translucent sheen. The body, once hard and toned beneath layers of polycarbide armor, hung flaccid, riveted to the frame by massive bolts. Open wounds exposed a curious, stomach-turning concoction of flesh and wires, and the tubes that continued to twitch and slide around the immobile form as if alive thrust themselves into its neck temples and spine, rivulets of the data fluid running down this wretched being's frigid hide. The chest, once broad but now collapsed and misshapen, didn't heave with breath, and the arms, once capable of snapping a man's neck, hung lifelessly at the side. It was a corpse, a relic, a husk. The doctor stepped forward, innate curiosity replacing sickening horror. The husk's eyes snapped open. Brilliant, sharp blue orbs met the doctors, dancing with recognition. Cracked grey lips parted as the figure made to speak. I knew you would return. The same silky voice of Oracle intoned, echoing the chamber. But now they were joined by a throaty metallic rasp, the words of the computer were the words of the tragic figure that lay before the doctor. Welcome back to the forge, Lazarus. The doctor could only look on in shock. Nimrod! Data screamed across the synaptic data implants fused into Nimrod's brain, data thrown up from his... from Oracle's vast memory banks. Past encounters with the being standing before him, 
over a dozen faces. The same man. Some familiar, some merely recognized from anecdotal reports and video footage. Images froze for a second as he sorted through them. The doctor who served under unit. Nimrod had always regretted that they'd never met. The short, scruffy one that Crichton always boasted about meeting. The young blonde encountered by Clark in Australia. There! A perfect match. The same straw hat. Same heavy eyebrows. Same ridiculous umbrella. Why did it have to be him? Nimrod would have preferred the one with the long brown hair. Or even the original Lazarus. But this one? So smug, so knowing, so sure of himself. Even now, standing in the heart of the forge, utterly defenceless, he had the air of a man who thought he was in control. But there was an uncertainty that hadn't been there before. The doctor broke his gaze from Nimrod's and began to wander around the forge's primary core, his eyes moving over every inch of the chamber. I must say, Nimrod, I'm not sure I like what you've done with the place. It's a bit too... Doer in here. Open a window. Let in some natural light. Bit of fresh air. Irritating as always, Doctor, rasped Nimrod. The Doctor turned, flashing a grin. I still like to play to the home crowd. Why are you here, Doctor? The Doctor leant forward on his umbrella, twinkling eyes intent on the decaying shell of a living being before him. The initial surprise had slipped from his face, replaced with morbid curiosity. Finally, he broke the silence. We've crossed swords many times, Nimrod, and I'd be a fool to think my future would bring yet more encounters between us. Encounters you've already experienced. The bright blue eyes within the sunken death mask face stared back. I've cursed you in the past. For good reason, the doctor continued. Your atrocities are without number. Your skewed moral code always belying the humanity that I knew lay somewhere deep in your heart. But, the doctor was on the move again, walking in an arc around the cavernous chamber. I never expected you to become this. He threw his arms out wide, sweeping the point of his umbrella out wide like a manic university lecturer. Was that disgust in the Time Lord's eyes? Perhaps. Nimrod could live with disgust. He'd endured disgust at his own flesh for most of his existence. For a second, he saw himself in his quarters deep beneath that old asylum on Dartmoor, pumping fresh human blood into his veins, cleansing himself, washing away the impurities, attempting to replace them with a vestige of humanity. Of course, within seconds, the twilight virus had taken hold again, rewriting the blood cells surging through his ravaged body. He remembered the day Frith blundered in on the ritual, recalled the look of revulsion on the chief of security's face. It hadn't concerned Nimrod then. He knew he'd never be human again, but followed the daily ritual irrespective. And what of humanity? Frith had been human the day Forge security operatives had pulled him from the escape hatch after the Hades Protocol had been activated. Flesh burnt from his bones as he gasped his last on a medical stretcher on the cold Dartmoor wasteland. Human meant being weak 
Human meant being limited. Human meant waste. I have fulfilled my destiny, Nimrod intoned in that gentle metallic rasp. Not quite living, not quite machine. Destiny, the doctor replied. You were a lot of things, Nimrod. Driven? Yes. Ambitious? Undoubtedly. Ruthless? Without question. Mistaken? Often. But whatever path you walked, whatever actions you took, you believed in yourself and you believed that those actions were justified unequivocally. The doctor paused. At times, I even admired you. The doctor's words echoed away into nothing. More silence followed, save for the almost imperceptible hum of the most advanced computer system in the world and the gurgling of nutrient fluid flowing through the snaking tubes that surrounded Nimrod. And here I find you, buried, hardwired into the systems you helped create, a puppet to your beloved forge, opening doors for them, running reports, boiling the kettle. You've become their slave. That is not the case. So, tell me. That intense gaze, the doctor's eyes boring into Nimrod. What are you? I am the Forge. In another time, another place, Nimrod would have spat these words at the doctor with forceful anger. Now they were just intoned with mechanical precision. A fact. What did you say? The doctor managed to say. I am the forge. That's impossible, the doctor breathed. Unless... Once again, Nimrod remained silent. You did this to yourself. Grey tissue stripped away, replaced with technology created on an alien world. Machinery abandoned, left behind, harvested and put to work. For King and... I never fail to be impressed by your deductive skills, Doctor. I became my own work. The last great experiment. But why? The doctor said, the true horror of what lay before him dawning. The doctor moved round the metallic stack of wiring and tubes that cradled Nimrod with the look of a prospective customer scrutinising a second-hand car. Did you plunge the scalpel into your own flesh? A flash of remembered pain seared through Nimrod's memory. Did you splice your nervous system into those hardwire implants yourself? The final connection. Synapses firing as wet organic analogue collided with hard-edged digital. The filters holding, a mind expanding, knowledge screaming through every ounce of grey matter. Experiences he'd never imagined. Data he could feel deep within the core of his being, rushing, intoxicating, overwhelming. Fascinated horror turned to anger. This is senseless, the doctor shouted. A senseless waste! Why, doctor? I have spent my life, my existence, expanding, 
striving to adapt, to improve. Directors came, directors went, and yet Nimrod remained, the beating heart at the center of the forge. The forge as you see it today was my vision. And what kind of forge is that? A forge that had amassed so much power it was able to break away from the shackles of government using plundered alien technology for financial gain? Oh yes, I've kept an eye on the forge, watching as years turned into decades and the forge transformed within a century to become the most powerful and influential conglomerate in the world. And all the time, I wondered what became of you within this behemoth. My vision, Doctor. And is that the vision that William Aberton saw on the night he plunged that syringe into his arm and changed his life forever? A black and white photo on a file. A forgotten name. A man bleeding on a cold stone floor. A choice made. A life extinguished. A new mission accepted. Case closed. William Abberton died that night. The night Nimrod was born. Abberton could never have possessed so much knowledge, so much power. Power? The doctor stepped closer to the array that held Nimrod. No, my friend. This is not power. What would you call it, doctor? Punishment. For what crime? The crime of a man in a time of war who operated on the innocent and turned them into monsters for a government to use as weapons. A crime that drove him to rip apart his very soul and transform himself into what he hated the most, his own twisted creation, a vampire. It was that crime that forced him to hunt down his experiments and wipe them from the face of the earth. The doctor was in full flow, his anger bursting to the surface in a passionate outpouring as he stalked around the chamber, the tip of his umbrella clicking furiously on the metal floor plates. That was the being I met over a century ago in the bowels of the dusk. Not the megalomaniac deputy director of the forge. Not the maniac who disposed of anyone who didn't play by your rules. But an innocent man who was trying to put right a very human mistake. More faces. More memories. The blunt pain of a crossbow bolt slicing through bleached flesh. The stench of musky corridors beneath the Thames. A man running into the gloom. Multicoloured frock coat flapping behind him. A ticking bomb. An interesting theory, Doctor, but irrelevant. Project Twilight was terminated, but I continued. What makes you think Project Twilight ended? Ah, you thought it was over when you slaughtered Cassie. The final end of the Twilight Vampires, done and dusted, you might say. Project Twilight ended. For the first time since the Doctor had come face to face with Nimrod, there was a hint of emotion in the flat, electronic rasp. Oh, yes. You killed Reggie. You dredged the Thames to find Amelia's corpse. 
You marched from country to country, ticking off vampires one by one, but you never completed the set. The doctor stepped forward to the base of the array and looked up with sad eyes at the crucified form before him. You knew in your heart, the heart of William Aberton, that one twilight vampire would always walk free. Nimrod's brilliant blue eyes never left the doctor as the little man reached a hand slowly inside his jacket. When he pulled his hand free, something glinted in the glare of the floodlights. A tiny metallic syringe. He held it in his hand with gentle reverence. I was too late for Cassie. One of my greatest mistakes. For somebody who is a lord of time, it is ironic how a simple concept like cause and effect manages to creep up on me so often. After Cassie died, I vowed that I'd never leave things to chance again. I should have... The doctor stopped himself, smiling sadly. He kept staring at the syringe. There are lots of things I should have done. You see, when you murdered Cassie, shot her down, you molded me, my life, in ways I couldn't have possibly imagined. Oh, you weren't solely to blame. There were other factors at play. But you helped dictate which road I should travel. I'd failed to save Cassie. I'd left things to chance, and they ran away with themselves. When I think of the look in Evelyn's eyes, and Hex, he... The doctor paused, just for a second, haunted again. Well, I think it's fair to say that I haven't left much to chance in recent years. Is that why you're here, Doctor? Nimrod asked, never taking his eyes from the syringe. Dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Tying up loose ends, you mean? Perhaps. I couldn't help Cassie. But I can help you. I can help you terminate Project Twilight. Forever. Is that the Twilight Cure? Yes, it is. All that time put into perfecting it and I never used it. I guess I never will. But you might. Impossible. Is it? I didn't come here by chance, Nimrod. The telepathic itch that has been playing at the edge of my consciousness for the past few months had something to do with it. A low-level psychic pulse which the TARDIS tracked to this very building. Did you even know you'd sent it, Nimrod? Data scrolled before Nimrod's eyes, checking systems. A thousand transmission logs accessed in a split second. No margin for error. I sent no signal. He rasped with mechanical efficiency. I'm here all the same. I can't stay long, though. There are still tyrants to topple, civilizations to save. Loose ends to tie up. Exactly. So I'm going to leave now, Nimrod. I doubt you'll try and stop me. The doctor strode toward Nimrod, his umbrella point punctuating his steps. 
before he reached forward and laid the syringe carefully on the side of the console, inches from Nimrod's withered hand. I'll just pop this here, where you can reach it. I have no need of the cure. The doctor looked up from the syringe, his face inches from Nimrod. Their eyes locked, heavy with meaning. Perhaps you don't. But ask yourself this. Dr. William Aberton created Nimrod. Will Nimrod bring Project Twilight full circle and restore William Aberton's humanity? William Aberton died a long time ago. Did he? Are you sure? Fluid gurgled. Machinery hummed and clicked. Of course, the doctor breathed out, straightening up with renewed energy. William Aberton is human, and a human could never survive the ravages your body has endured over the decades. All those upgrades, Xenotech grafted onto flesh, being hot-wired into that computer. A human would perish in an instant. Some might call it a release. The doctor pulled out his pocket watch and flicked it open. He pursed his lips and nodded before replacing it. But that's not my choice to make. I imagine security operatives will be converging on this position presently. No doubt the Forge is still keen to add me to its collection of alien artefacts. They won't be the first, and they certainly won't be the last. Perhaps my mysterious guardian angel will provide me with a safe path back to the TARDIS. What do you think? The doctor moved towards the door, but turned back briefly. Farewell, Nimrod. Godspeed. Nimrod watched the Time Lord turn on his heels. Without looking back, the doctor strolled calmly out of the chamber, raising his straw hat into the air as he passed the threshold. As soon as he was gone... Nimrod ordered the heavy doors to close. He monitored the doctor's journey back through the building, barely registering the unbidden surge of power from within his own systems that opened and closed heavy security doors in sequence. He watched as the doctor arrived in the corridor where a large blue box stood waiting. Security cameras zoomed in on the strangely shaped key as the Yale lock was slipped aside and the wooden door unlocked. The sound of the TARDIS's time engines was recorded in the archive for posterity, and sensors swept the empty air that rushed back to fill the space where the capsule had stood. All around the complex, systems carried on as normal. Data was processed, orders were relayed, files were sorted, and beside a small silver syringe, bleached white fingers, which hadn't moved for decades, twitched slightly. A choice to make. Godspeed, Doctor.